All right, if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me now to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Since January, uh, we have been looking at the first 14 chapters of this book of Exodus, and we have seen that God, whose name is Yahweh, the great I Am, that He has done great things for His people. We have seen that He has fought for His people. He is called in our text today, the man of war. He fights for them. And He does great things for them. And now, in response to what Yahweh has done, Moses and the people of Israel sing to the Lord. So let's begin this morning by reading the first 21 verses of this text together. It says this, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host He cast into the sea, and His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Felicia. They are the chiefs. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, 
but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang, Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. Amen. May God bless the preaching and our response to His Word here this morning. I'm very excited because this Saturday, my son William is going to go see Hamilton on Broadway for his 16th birthday. The $10 founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot hard. My family loves Hamilton. And we love many other Broadway shows as well. Hamilton, Les Mis, The Newsies, Phantom. We love movies like The Greatest Showman. There's just something about singing and dancing that affects our hearts and even our souls, right? Do you like to sing? If you do like to sing, do you have a good voice? If you do, I am very, very jealous of you because I do not have a good voice. There, there have been a few times when the sound team has forgotten to turn my microphone off during the singing and... Afterwards, they've come up extremely apologetic, and I don't think they were apologizing just to me. <laughs> I remember one time when my son William was just a, a little baby, maybe one or two years old. William probably has the best voice in our family. Uh, he takes after Ashley entirely in that. But he was young. He couldn't sleep. So I went into his room, and I, I was rocking him to sleep in the, in the rocking chair, and I, I decided to sing a song to him. And so I was singing a hymn, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. But by the second verse, little William, maybe one or two years old, looks up, raises his hand, taps my mouth, no, no, thank you, Daddy. No, no, thank you. <laughs> okay. All right, son. No offense taken. But listen, wh whether you have a good voice or not, whether you like to sing or not, singing is indeed a good way to express our emotions, both in joy and in sorrow. Whether you're into Broadway or not, music has always been an important part of humanity. And I, I say that not just as a Broadway fan, I say that as someone who, is, who clearly sees this truth demonstrated and commanded in God's Word. A right response to God's activity, a right response to our salvation in Him is to sing before Him. The psalmist says that all of creation sings to the Lord. We see the people of Israel in this text sing to the Lord. We see music at moments of dedicating the temple before the Lord. We have a whole book in our Bibles, the book of Psalm, which is about singing songs to the Lord. We see Paul in the New Testament command the church to sing songs and spiritual songs to each other in order to edify and encourage the body. And then in the book of Revelation, John sees a glimpse of heaven and he tells us that in that place, on that day, all of the redeemed will sing a new song before the Lord. God's people always sing in response to their salvation. And we see it clearly demonstrated here in our text today. Now you might be thinking that, that singing is kind of the wrong response in this moment. Right? You might think that Moses and the Israelites should just keep running to get away from Egypt as much as they can. 
You might think that they should somberly bow their heads and thank God for their deliverance. You you might think that they should declare a somber fast and commit their ways to the Lord diligently. And all of that's good. All of that is right. But the first thing that they do is what? They sing. They sing. And according to verse 20, they, they dance. Church, God has done great things for us. And so we too should sing to Him with our words and with our lives. God loves our salvation not just to be factual in our minds, but to be joyful in our hearts. The main idea for our sermon this morning is this. We should sing to God with joy because He fights for us. We should sing to Him with joy because He fights for us. And we have two points this morning. Number one, He is our salvation. And point number two, he is our sanctuary. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, he is our salvation. If you you look at the text today, you're going to see a lot of poetical and emphatic language. The Israelite people are singing, and they're singing boldly about what God has done for them. Verse one says, they, they sang, and they sang about how the Lord had thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. Verse 20 speaks of Miriam and all the women with tambourines and with dancing. Why? Why are they singing and dancing? Well, because according to verse two, the Lord is their strength and their song. His deliverance, His salvation, it was so great that it led them to respond in this enthusiastic way. And friends, they they responded in this enthusiastic way because the Israelites needed the salvation that was given, didn't they? They needed it very much. As Jason spoke last week, he reminded us that, that the sea was in front of them and their enemies were coming from behind them. It was a dire situation. If you look up at chapter 14, verse 10, it says that the Egyptians were marching after them. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the the anxiety? They're literally being hunted down by their enemies. Listen, as as I read that verse in chapter 14, verse 10, I immediately think about how many of us feel hunted down by our past. Every day, You feel like your past is your greatest enemy. It it literally feels like the mistakes you've made in the past, your failures, the things you've said, the things you've done, the sins that you've committed, that those things are literally marching after you in your mind and in your thoughts each and every day. Your past is coming after you. And then the Egyptians look ahead and, and all they see before them is a sea of water. And it's completely impassable. It's blocking the way. There's no way around it or to overcome it. You can't take a few million people through a sea of water. You can't build a few uh, boats and get across. You can't swim. They have children and animals and and food with them. There's, There's no way. And what the Israelites felt in that moment is often exactly what many of us feel when we look forward to the future. The future can seem too deep with with many dangers, toils, and snares. There are waves of of uncertainty and our our anxiety about the future is threatening to drown us. The future just seems impassable. Some of us are barely getting through today. If we even begin to think about tomorrow, we might crumble. I'll be honest. 
I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't feeling anxiety about the the spinal surgery that I have coming up in just a few weeks as I think about it and as I think about some of the the lasting limitations that the doctor has has spoken about. I feel a a panic attack kind of like standing right next to me all the time threatening to, to drown me. Friends, there's so many other things we can be anxious about. Maybe it's your future with finances. Maybe your retirement doesn't look like what you wanted it to look like by this point. Maybe it's whether you will ever be married in the future. Maybe it's whether you will ever be able to have children in the future. Maybe it's thinking about what the future of your child with special needs will look like. Maybe, maybe it's whether you'll ever be able to have a good and healthy marriage in the future. Maybe it's whether chronic pain will ever go away or whether you'll ever get the diagnosis that you want in the future. Maybe it's whether you'll ever be able to get the home that you were praying for or whether you'll ever be able to get out of debt. The Israelites were were looking forward and all that they were able to see were waves and and dangers before them. And we, we often feel the same. And as if that is not enough, the Israelites also needed to escape from their own sinful hearts, right? They they did not trust the Lord like they should. They they complained. In chapter 14, they said, God, were there not graves in Egypt? Why why have you brought us here? Like the Egyptians, the Israelites too deserve God's judgment to fall upon them. So listen, the people of God, they, they have their past hunting them down. They have their future blocking the way. And they have the certainty of judgment for their own sinful unbelief. Church, they needed salvation, didn't they? They, they had no hope on their own. There was no way out. I remember in high school, uh, my friends and I in uh, the youth group and in the school, we had a major prank war between each other, between the guys and the girls. They would pull a prank on us, we would pull a prank on them. And I remember one night before a retreat, all the girls were staying at one of their houses, and so me and all the guys went over there. In the middle of the night, from like 2 to 3.30, we found piles of wood, firewood in their yard, and we piled them around each of their cars, like a cord of wood around each of their vehicles so that they couldn't get out. Uh, Now, we left enough room for them to get in and to try to drive around it, but it was impossible. They couldn't move forward. They couldn't move back. They they were blocked in on every side. Friends, that's how it was like for the Israelites. They had nowhere to turn. They had no place to go, no matter how hard they tried. They were blocked in on every side. But then what happened? God made a way. Last week, he parted the Red Sea. He delivered them from their past, and he opened the future before them. He he spared them from the judgment that they deserved, and he poured out his judgment on their enemies. Church family, this is the gospel. The, the, The parting of the Red Sea... It is the Old Testament picture of God's ultimate saving power. The, the exodus through the Red Sea is a, it's a paradigm-shaping moment for our understanding of God's power to save His people. The, this moment was supposed to show God's people in that day, and it is supposed to remind us as the church in this day that God has the power to save, not just from earthly enemies, but from all of our enemies. We, we as the church on this side of the cross, we're supposed to see so clearly that the the waves of God's judgment were impassable for us. We could not save ourselves. We had nowhere to go. You and I are sinners, and we can't swim across that ocean by our good works. We are hopeless, but God sent His Son into this world. 
He sent His Son in this world, into this world to bear the wrath of God on our behalf. Friends, picture this with me. If, if God caused the waters of the Red Sea to stand up and all the Israelites walked through on dry ground, church, when Jesus was on that cross, He was literally holding the waves of God's wrath back so that you and I could walk through on dry ground. And then He let them fall upon Himself. He was swallowed up by that wrath like Pharaoh was swallowed up by that wrath. But it was He who did no sin. Nor was iniquity found in His mouth. It was He who did nothing wrong. He, Christ, the the perfect God-man, but He drowned in God's judgment for you and for me. And He did it, listen, so that anyone who looks to Him by faith this morning, they will be saved. They'll be on the other side of the sea of God's wrath and they'll be on dry ground. They will look back and they will have no fear of judgment for their past mistakes. Their greatest enemies have been defeated. Church, when we remember these glorious things, we shouldn't help but singing like the Israelites sang. Look again at the text with me. Verse 1, it says, He triumphed gloriously. It's glorious. We should clap to these things. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. It should well up within us. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. The floods covered them. And then listen to this. They went down into the depths like a stone. I love that imagery. Listen, those that our God defeats even your sinful past, they don't tread water. They sink like a rock. Verse 10, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Israel's enemies are gone. The earth swallowed them up. They can't be seen anymore. It's like they don't, don't even exist. You know, I should finish the story about the pranks that we did because me and my buddies were very happy and proud with ourselves. In the middle of the night, we had moved piles and piles of wood in order to prank the girls. We went home very happy with ourselves, confident that we had won the war at least for the moment. But little did we know that one of the girls' moms had woken up and she had watched us do the whole thing. Now, my friend's mom was a serious lady. She helped run her husband's land-clearing company. She used a chainsaw daily. She did carpentry work on the side. She was a serious lady. And so when she saw us doing all of this with the wood, she just watched and waited. She watched and waited. So we went home happy with ourselves. And before the girls got up, she went out and she undid everything that we had done. Like at 4 o'clock in the morning, she, she restacked every piece of wood. And the best part was that she didn't tell the girls about any of it. So the next morning, we're coming in all haughty, starting the retreat. How long did it take you guys to dig out and get into your cars this morning? The girls had no idea what we were talking about. And we didn't believe them. We got angry with them. Like, be humble enough to admit that we beat you. And they're like, dudes, we don't know what you're talking about. It was like the earth had, had swallowed up our work. Friends, this is like the salvation that God has given to us. It is so complete, it is so definitive, it is so full that our enemies are swallowed up by His grace and His mercy. It's almost as if they don't exist. When God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of His Son. He does not see your own sin. It's like it was never there. You are righteous in His sight. 
But, but yet that, that past does exist, right? We, we did those things. We're aware of them. We know our past. We know how fearful it was and how fearful our future is. But yet Yahweh has saved us from it. And so like the Israelites, church, we should sing. We should sing loudly for the Lord has triumphed gloriously. Christian, remember what he's done for you. And remember with me that it was not because of how good we were. It was not because of how smart or beautiful or creative we were. No, we were stuck. Our past was hunting us down. The ways of the future were uncertain. Our own sinful hearts were condemning us. We had nowhere to go. But in His grace, His free and abounding and undeserved mercy and grace, He saved you. Don't grow familiar with your salvation. Don't think about these things as merely factual. It is supposed to stir your emotions. It is supposed to fuel your joy. This is why the text, in the language of the text, is so poetical. The imagery is so powerful. The, the Israelites, in this moment, they're not looking at the waters, even as they calm down and saying, oh, praise God, he drowned Pharaoh. On to the next thing. Praise God, we're, we're no longer in... No, they sang and they danced. They used expressiveness in word and in body to show their gratitude to the Lord. And this, this joyful gratitude, it's not just for this moment or even for us on Sunday mornings alone. It's supposed to encompass all of life. I love how in verse 2 it says that, that the Lord has become our salvation. They're choosing together to find their entire identity in Him. They don't just say God saved us in this moment alone. No, they say He has become our salvation. Our life is hidden in Him. What does it mean that He's become our salvation? It means that the God who turned water into blood and the God who sent hail and fire from heaven and the God who parted the Red Sea and the God who ultimately defeated the greatest superpower nation in the world is forever on our side. He has become our salvation. And so we sing to Him. We don't, we don't just sing to Him with our words. We sing to Him with our lives. We sing to Him by loving and, and serving our families well. We sing to Him through our service in the local church. We sing to Him at work through our honesty and our humility and our godly example. The fact that He has become our salvation means that we now honor Him in every area of our lives and we do so with great joy. That's exactly what we're going to see in the rest of the book of Exodus. He is our salvation. Amen? That brings us to our second point. Point number two, He is our sanctuary. Friends, I think that we need to acknowledge something together. I, I have often heard people share a concern that they have about Reformed theology and how we celebrate the sovereignty of God so loudly. And it's actually a concern that I share with them. A lot of people want to rightly celebrate our, our Reformed theology and celebrate that our God is sovereign over all things and that He's not like a, a genie in the bottle that we can assume will give us anything we want at any time and, and always want health and prosperity for us. We, we should rightly celebrate the fact that God is sovereign even over our suffering and even though He does not promise our health and wealth right here and right now at all times, we know that He is using our suffering for our good and that there's a, a joyful eternity waiting for us regardless of what life is like right now in heaven. Those are glorious truths and we should celebrate them. 
But I agree with some people's concern that Reformed people can be a little pessimistic sometimes. It, it can seem like we believe that God only works through hard things, that He never wants us to, to do that He never wants to do any good for us today, and that our only hope and our only joy is that heaven will come someday later. I share that concern. Church, I don't want to be a pessimistic Christian. I love my Reformed theology, but I do not want my Reformed theology to ignore my charismatic theology. I don't want to stop believing that God is able to do great things right here and right now. Church, this is what verses 1 to 12 in our text is all about. Yes, these verses are to remind us of God's ability to to defeat our greatest enemy, which is sin and death before God, but but they also remind us of how capable, how able our God is. They remind us of how able He is to do good for His people right here and right now. And, and, And we see it, not just here, but everywhere in God's Word. He he is able to defeat our enemies, whether they are Pharaoh or Goliath. He is able to close the mouths of lions. He is able to send bread from heaven and to bring water from a rock. He is able to keep the widow's oil from running out. And that's all in the Old Testament. That doesn't even include who Jesus is. Jesus was able to heal diseases. He's able to open blind eyes. Jesus was able to feed the hungry. He's able to raise the dead. Church, this is who our God is. He is able. And we must believe this today. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and see how I provide for them. Will not I do as much for you? We serve the same God that they served here in Exodus chapter 15. He is able to provide for your retirement. He's able to protect your children. How many times have he, has He proven this to us already? How many times has He fought for us? How many times have we seen His healing power? How many times has He opened doors of unexpected provision? Church, we must not be a pessimistic people, only hoping for heaven. It is good to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. But it's also very good to remember that our God can bring an end to the trial right now. And so friends... Redeemer family, we, we should cry out to God together. We, we, we should, we must be a praying church. We should call out to Him like Moses and the Israelites do in this moment. We should pray boldly because our God is a miracle-working God and He loves to prove Himself faithful right here and right now. That, that, that's what the first 12 verses here are all about. May we not be a pessimistic people. Our God is able. Amen? But friends, that is not the only reason that we sing to Him today. Maybe you do not feel like singing because He has not parted the sea in your life in the way that you want Him to. Maybe it feels like a long time since God has worked in any miraculous ways. Maybe you feel as if you're still in the 400 years of slavery. You feel unseen by God. You feel forgotten by God. You feel alone. You feel beaten down. You feel broken. Well, friends, one of the reasons that we sing to Him this morning is not just because He is able to bless us today, but because of what He has promised to be for us in the future. Look at the text again. Verses 1 to 12 make it very clear that we sing to Him because He's a man of war and He's able to do these great things for us. But verses 13 to 18, they help us in a very different way. 
Look at the text in verse 13. It says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And, and then they start talking about all the inhabitants of Canaan and how their enemies tremble before the Lord. But friends, isn't this interesting? They haven't even begun to journey to the promised land. They have a whole journey ahead of them. They have a whole wilderness in front of them. But they're already speaking as if God has guided them to this holy abode, even though they're not there yet. These scenes haven't happened, but yet they sing as if they have. Moses leads the people of Israel to sing to the Lord with great confidence that there were many dangers that lie before them, many trials still to come. But because of the evidence of verses 1 to 12, because of the history of God's faithfulness and power, Moses leads the people of Israel to be very confident about their future. Look at verse 17. It says, You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. It's already done. Friends, biblically speaking, he's, he's talking about both earthly Jerusalem and heaven, our future with him. And church, this is one of the greatest reasons that we sing today. Yes, he's able to work miraculously in our lives. Yes, we, we should pray for him to break into our lives and deliver us from hardship and even cause us to prosper by his grace. He can do that and he often does. But when in his good and loving providence, he leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. When in his good and loving providence, he takes us through the painful, refining fire of his grace. When in his good and loving sovereignty, he seeks to make us perfect and complete, lacking nothing, and he does so through, does so through trials of various kinds. When in his good and loving providence, your God responds to your prayers with not yet. Church, even then, we can sing that the Lord has become our salvation. Even then, we can sing with joy because the salvation that He has given through His Son is just the beginning of what He will ultimately do for His people. Our God is a man of war, and we sing to Him not just because He can give us a new car or a new home, but because He is our home. He is our salvation. He is our resting place. He is our sanctuary. He's everything. Church, we sing because our future in Jesus is certain. The promised land awaits. Our heavenly abode is coming. We will live in His sanctuary with Him forever and ever. Because of God's sovereignty, Christian, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our futures are bright, and it should strengthen you today. You know, I have... Amen. The last five weeks have been miserable. The, the nerve pain has been so bad. I haven't been sleeping. I haven't been able to work like I want to work. I've just spent a lot of time sitting in my chair, asking my family, groaning out loud, trying to survive. It's been horrible. I'm not sure how much more I could have taken of it, but, but then God, through members of this church in a somewhat miraculous way, opened up the schedule so that I could have my consultation much sooner than expected, and my, my surgery is scheduled sooner than we thought. And listen, 
Just knowing that the surgery is coming and that the surgeon says you will find immediate relief when you wake up from that surgery, just that has strengthened me in the pain. Just that is that I can get through this because I'm going to wake up and the pain's going to be gone. Church, I don't know what pain you are going through. I don't know how miserable you are today. I don't, I don't know, but I... I know that if you are in Christ Jesus by faith, you, you can still sing to Him this morning because He is your sanctuary. He is your home. It's one of the greatest truths in our, our Reformed theology that our salvation in Him is so complete that He will keep us secure in Him because our salvation is all from Him and for Him and to Him. We can know that the good work that He has begun in us, He's going to bring it to completion. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's very similar to how Moses speaks in our text today. Paul speaks of glorification, our getting to heaven, our getting to the promised land as being already done, as if it's in the past tense, because that's how confident he is, because he has become our salvation, and he fights for us. Those that are hidden in Christ Jesus, they will absolutely reign with Him. Nothing can separate you from His grace. Nothing. Christian, I don't know what pain you're going through, but I know that there is a day coming when every tear will be wiped away. And every discomfort and every disappointment in your heart and in your soul, every frustration about this life, every dark memory that haunts you. Every sorrow, every grief, all pain will be taken away. The promised land, that the mountain of God, Zion, is coming for us. It will not be like this place. It will be a perfect abode. And so friends, we should sing. We must sing. We must sing because of the great things that God has done and the great things that He is still going to do. We sing because it is the best response to the great things that He has done for us. I want to read this quote from Phil Reich. And actually, can I ask you to stand with me as I read this and the the band can come up and we're going to enter back into worship together. Phil Reichen says in response to Exodus chapter 15, he says, salvation always demands a response. A response to praise that is most suitably expressed in song. Therefore, the song of Moses, the song of salvation, was not merely appropriate at this point in Exodus. It was mandatory. This must be our response. Whether you're musical or not, whether you have a good voice or not, God calls us to sing, to engage our emotions and our bodies and to thank Him for the great things that He has done. We want to sing because our salvation demands a response. You know, even as I have studied the last 14 chapters, I have felt like my soul demanded a a response of a different kind. I actually wrote a a poem about these these 14 chapters and, and who Yahweh is and how He fights for us. I want to end with this and then we'll, we'll jump right into singing. The poem is called, He Fights for You. The weight of sin upon your back, feelings of guilt your soul ransacked. Bound to live in sin and shame, your future bleak with sorrow, pain, He fights for you. Always failing to change your way, the ransom for sin, unable to pay, guilt and shame you can't deflect, losing all honor and respect, He fights for you. 
Enslaved to powers too strong to fight. No hope of redemption ever in sight. Life made bitter by the power of sin. An enemy from without and from within. He fights for you. But when you're under this heavy load, there is one who hears you groan. Your cry for rescue comes up to him. You're seen and known by the great I am. He fights for you. The great I am fights against your foes, his power destroying all that oppose. For every God that attacks your heart, he will deflect every dart. He fights for you. Yahweh is the man of war, his judgment always ready to pour. But not on you will it ever come because he sent his only son. He fights for you. He fought for you with love and grace, the line of Pharaoh to deface. The Son of God endured your pain. The Lamb of God for you was slain. He fights for you. His power was seen in signs and wonders, and now your enemies are plundered. Waves of judgment were coming down, but now your foes are fully drowned. He fights for you. Now standing on the shores of grace, your God has given you a place. From years of aimlessness you've strode, but God has now become your abode. He fights for you. The great I am has opened a way. So church, now lift your voice and loudly say that your life has been restored for your God is a man of war. He fights for you. Amen.